Chapter 16 of Souls for Sale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Souls for Sale by Rupert Hughes. Chapter 16. The early morning train from Tucson would deposit Mem at Yuma in the mid-afternoon. The railroad was never far from the Mexican border, and the desert was stinging hot. Yet Mem suffered an inner chill and her flesh crept clamily at what she had to do, for on that journey she was to get rid of her husband. He had been vague before, but as she made ready to slaughter him, he became fearsomely real. She went through the experience of a bravo who had lightly accepted a commission to assassinate a stranger, but on meeting him and coming to know him, found him likable, lovable, and his destruction abominable. The scenes the train swept her through were as damned as her deed, a famine land of stunted growth or none john woodville sat beside her in the train he vanished as soon as she turned to look his way but when she gazed with unfocused lenses through the window at the blurred sand and sage his presence was almost palpable when she closed her scorched eyes she could almost feel him leaning against her shoulder his breath stirring the little curls at the nape of her neck he took in warm, strong fingers her cold hand lying idle at her side. In the dark of her shut eyes, he put his arm about her shoulder and drew her to him and kissed her cheek, whispering, My wife. He turned her head and pressed on her pale mouth so masterful a kiss that her lips reddened and quivered. She tried to summon her dead lover to the defense of his rights in her possession, but Elwood was more unreal now, more remote than the mirage of this conqueror. She tried to fling him off by opening her eyes and re-establishing the other passengers in the crowded car, but the somnolence of the burning morning dragged her back to the weird world of sleep. As her eyes closed, she caught sight of a cowboy racing the train on a plunging bronco, and when she fell asleep, she fell into the saddle of a pinto alongside John Woodville's Mustang and she rode with them across the sage-spotted sands toward the brown mountains and found there a cabin in a dark grove and it was their new home she was the mistress of it but he was the master of her a ruthless laughing husband who would not be denied but mocked her fears and made her his wife broke her to his will as he broke the wildly resisting bronco she ran pursued but overtaken and woke with a start spent and panting and stared at the drowsy passengers she was astounded and a little disappointed to find herself still on the same car his hot cheek against hers was only the sun-baked window-pane tinkling with the rain of the blown sand she fought off the swooning drowsiness that dragged her back to a siesta of fancy and devoted herself to the stern task of arranging a plausible death for her short-lived bridegroom Fear of discovery was as acute in Mem's heart as if she were planning genuine homicide. Some authors have wept over the slaughter of their creatures. Some have rejoiced in their murder as a fine art. But Mem was a beginner, a bungler. She was bound to make a bad job of it, and she could not trust her imagination. After an hour or two of deep study that only increased her sense of hopeless floundering, she went to her luncheon in the dining car, it was hard to play executioner on an empty stomach. On her way back to her place, she saw on an empty seat a newspaper. The owner had plainly finished with it and tossed it aside. He was not visible, and she resolved that theft was a proper prelude to a greater atrocity. 
so she snatched up the paper and carried it back to her place it was the los angeles times an enormous budget filled with the proud expression of the fastest growing city in the world a city tumultuous with prosperity at a time when nearly every other city and town was cowering under the aftermath of the world war mem found as is to be expected in any newspapers but those curious documents built to suit the ostriches who believe in concealing reference to crime and other departures from monotony many accounts of murders robberies accidents and other manifestations of human fallibility magnificent burglaries were properly chronicled nearly every day somebody seemed to loot a mail train or a bank messenger of the ransom of a dozen dukes highway robbery was bringing back the glorious days of dick turpin jonathan wilde and claude duval those who stood quietly behind their counters had drama brought to them on the tip of a pistol those who motored along quiet roads or city streets were hailed from other cars by fleeting highwaymen or highwaywomen or they discovered with their searchlights somber gentlemen or ladies whose watchword was becoming a national greeting put em up it seemed as if one half the world had its hands in the air while the other half went through its pockets cash drawers suitcases or mail pouches los angeles as one of the busiest cities going naturally had its share of this industry furthermore its thronged streets were superior to every other city's in the number of people killed and maimed by the floods of automobiles mem thought of los angeles as the missionary thinks of benin somaliland milan or shanghai or some other center of crime though none of the foreign murder mills has ever approached the american grist in the times she discovered a number of suggestive deaths here was the story of a man who slipped into the swollen colorado river which was running one of its annual amocks here were a hundred people in colorado state swept out of their homes and drowned by a torrent here was a rich man whose neck was broken in an overturned car here were a score effaced in a collision between an autobus and an electric train here was a new yorker shot dead in his pajamas as he sat with a lapful of morning letters here was a man found buried in his own cellar here was a midwestern gentleman for whose murder his wife and his stepdaughter were being tried the allegation being that they had filled him with arsenic taken from flypaper here was a man who hired a hobo to play a practical joke on his wife and pretend to hold them up in their doorway then the amazing dramatist shot the hobo dead shot his wife dead and announced that he had taken part in a pistol duel with a highwayman the cynical police found a few flaws in his glib story and wrung a confession from him he was a very religious young man too and superior to all small vices and the jury at his first trial disagreed as to his guilt since he repudiated his confession a second jury found him guilty but he pleaded insanity and deferred the penalty altogether an original genius in crime mem envied him his ingenuity there were instances enough and too many of death's activities in the newspaper here was an aviator doing a moving picture stunt whose ship caught fire and brought him down burned to a crisp here was a man killed in his automobile by a big tree falling over him there was such an embarrassment of riches that mem could not select a single method of doing away with mr woodville 
She forgot him utterly for a while in a page devoted to the gossip of moving picture studios. She saw that Robina Teal and Tom Holby had come back to Hollywood from a dash to New York for local color and would soon be going out again, on location, wherever that was. She saw that Viva de Artois and her husband had reopened their beautiful bungalow in Edendale. She saw that Miriam Yore had arrived and taken a palatial house for her stay. Maurice Maeterlinck had come out on a special train. Many English men and women of fame were on their way, and herds of authors, who being American, were unimportant. Domestic goods are always shoddy, and imported elegant. Mem reverted to her plot. She had her mourning all ready to put on. But here was a new complication. If she arrived in Yuma as a widow, she must don her mourning in the train. She would have to retire to the narrow cell of the women's room and make the change there. That was inconvenient, but not impossible. It was the only thing to do. Yet if she went in a maid and out a widow, people might notice the change and wonder, for she had been well observed by the other passengers. A few of them had remarked that it was hot or asked her if it were not hot. Pretty hot, what? One woman had said. Mem had thought peevishly what a funny thing it was the way folks used pretty. Pretty hot meant hideous hot. She knew that women were like cameras for snapshotting other women's clothes at a glance and remembering them like a photograph. Men didn't notice such things much, yet men had noticed her, two men particularly. One of them, a flashy, impudent creature with hard, exploring eyes that fairly nosed her like a pig's snout. The other, a lonely, deer-eyed thing, pleading for pity with a woman-hungry stare. Mem had a flash of unusual cynicism toward the moralities. Why is it that we feel so sorry for the loneliness of the timid man and so disgusted with the loneliness of the bold man? The loneliness must hurt both of them about the same. But she did not dwell on the thought. Humanity is never going to give the sympathy to the hyena that it wastes on the more destructive rabbit. What settled Mem's debate was the realization that if she donned her crepe on the train, it would cause a stir among the people in whose flying parlor she had sat for seven hours or so, and some of them would doubtless be getting off at Yuma. She wondered if somebody would come up to her at the station, as at Tucson, and announce himself as the deputy of her father. She hoped not. He could hardly have divined that she was bound for Yuma, yet she could not feel sure. For all she knew, the first person she met might be somebody from Calverly. Another point decided her. If she wrote to her father that she had left Tucson as a wife and reached Yuma as a widow, it would be necessary to push her husband off the train or wreck the train or something, and that would be hard to verify. There were other reasons for giving herself a little longer experience of wedded bliss. This marriage was for a purpose. She grew frantic with indecision. The train seemed to be exerting itself to fling her into Yuma before she could make up her mind. Nothing was easier than to tell a lie, but great heavens, how difficult it was to foresee all the things that would happen to it as it went along accumulating complications. Like other works of art, a lie must be all things to all men or be strong enough to endure their idiosyncrasies and their attacks. Dr. Bretherick had told her to hold her head up and run, yet not to run. He had thereupon shipped her west to a land of strangers, 
yet she could neither break away from the ties at home nor break through the nets ahead of her she was running as fast as she could but she had leg irons on she had not left pursuit behind and the path ahead was all brambles and pitfalls the train went whooping into a low loosely built town as she oscillated from one plan to another a hoarse voice bawled you my you my end of chapter 16 recording by diana bovey